Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Strong cigarette game he had <laughs> in that, you know, where he held it, looking at it, looking at it as key. A lot of looking at it. And a lot of looking there. Talking out. <laughs> He's got a new Spoken Word album out, just in in case you didn't know. He is uh, on the show with me tomorrow night. Is there any song that you would like uh, to have him speak? Well, he has a a new album out, so he very well might want to speak uh, something of that. But I want to give him one that he doesn't have on his (laughs) album. Well, try Rocketman again. That's very original, Coop. Thank you very much. I'm trying to give him something. I want to throw him a little bit. You know, he's going to be riding high, no pun intended. Right? Because he just came down from space. A tiny dancer. How about tiny dancer? There's my man. There you go. There's my man. Thank you very much. <laughs> also my nickname in high school. All right. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Tonight, the biggest pandemic problem no one has really talked about until now. The supply chain. The supply chain. The supply chain. The supply chain issue. Supply chain. What is it? The issue is like a blob from those early sci-fi movies, this mysterious mass of manpower, motivation, and business maneuvers that is moving slowly, smothering our economy and more. This video of cargo ships in the water off LA port, uh, they're not just sitting, they are stranded. Why? No one to receive, no one to upload, and no one to export. Do I sound like Shatner right now? Back to news. This is the mark of the blob. And that's why the man who was most threatened by the blob, President Biden, went there to take it on. The Port of Los Angeles announced today that it's going to be, begin operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This follows the Port of Long Beach's commitment to 24-7 that it announced just weeks ago. 24-7 system. L.A. and Long Beach are key factors in this because they control about 40 percent of all the shipping of American goods. But now, listen, why am I calling it the blob? It's not to be funny, certainly. This is a nebulous thing. We know that there are a combination of economic indicators that are conspiring uh, to create a slowdown. But it depends on where and what to get you to a why. So let's deal with what we know and what the factors are and what people think the fix may be. Uh, But I'll tell you this now. This is something that is going to haunt us through the holidays. Remember that. This will only get worse between now and the holidays. So if you want to shop for Christmas, I would do it sooner rather than later. 40% of all the shipping containers that come into this country, come in through those two ports. That's why they're doing this. Get another 60 hours of operation uh, just this year. Hopefully, that will help with the backlog of more than 50 ships that are waiting to dock. But when we talk about the blob or the supply chain, there are many links. And you know what they say about chains, right? Only as strong as the weakest link. 
forecasts for home heating just came out. Why are they going up? Because everything will that needs to be produced or transported. Just like it already does to fill up your car. Heating oil's expensive. Propane's going to be expensive. Gas is expensive. I went to two different gas stations today. Both were changing their price numbers as I drove in. Why? Look, feeding your family, same thing. You're going to see food costs go up. Not having the people and equipment to make and move product affects everything. That's why everything seems to cost more. Why it's harder to take care of your family. So, Let's deal with the why. Why are we short labor and equipment? Well, the equipment is the easier part of the analysis. Why? Because it's about making and people make, right? You have to make the parts. So you're going to hear about a lot of people waiting on parts, okay? Our whole product, you'll hear that also, but look for parts. You're going to hear about parts, cars, uh, different, uh, you know, uh, the trucks that are used for long haul supply. You know, even when we have the workers a lot of the equipment is down. Why? Because they can't fix it. And without people working, things don't get made. And the things needed to take things, you know, to make them better, they don't get made. Double delay. Uh, Apple announcing production shorts on the new iPhone. Why? Can't get them made. So less product. And then anything that does get made doesn't get where it needs to be. Certainly not fast. Why? You don't have the people to load, process, and transport. Now, the next why. Why is that true, what it is? Why are we short so many workers? One answer. People are quitting their jobs like never before. This is a stat that you haven't heard much of at all, I would expect. Uh, 4.3 million. That's how many people quit their job in just August. So why did they quit? Vaccine mandates. No, it's mostly just a few thousand. Surprising, right? For all the talk it gets, that's politics, not reality. Now, 4.3 million is huge, unusual. Why? People normally only quit when things are really good. They have more options, more chances for better pay, they're controlling the market. But that's not the case. Unemployment is still high. For industry after industry, the story is they can't find enough workers. Well, that's because everybody stayed home because they're getting fat on those government checks. Unlikely. Why? They stopped months ago. And they brought most people to minimum wage. I mean, that's hardly easy street. It's hardly retirement money. We learn more about the why when we go from how many are gone to who they are. We're talking mostly about people who work in food, retail, and healthcare. The last one we're talking 524,000 since February. Now, one of the side notes in this big debate about letting insurance companies negotiate directly with Big Pharma, keep your eye on Big Pharma and healthcare's labor numbers. Because if they don't get what they want, they're going to start talking about sweating employees, laying people off. They're already dealing with a shortage, but they are one of the biggest employers in the United States. And they're going to have tremendous leverage. Keep that in mind. Now, let's dig deeper and you'll see how it's all connected. You take the truck drivers we need to get those packages from the ships to your house. Burnout. Huge problem for years. We were 60,000 drivers short before COVID. That number could swell to 100,000 in less than two years. Across the spectrum, when you look at why people are quitting, yeah, money plays a role. But the far bigger reasons are people don't feel valued.
something may have changed during COVID. Either they were overworked to the point where they couldn't bear it, or they had time to think and process what mattered to them. This frustration, this unease with the status quo is something I hear a lot from you guys. It's a feeling we've seen amplified for profit by right-wing media and companies like Facebook. The current Republican Party uses those feelings to fuel its entire reason for existence. It's why you see so many on the right playing up fears about inflation. They want to be the agent of your anger at circumstances that seem beyond your control. Fears that seem to hit home when you see Joe Biden's numbers on the economy. That's why this moment, what we do right now, is critical. Almost 80% of adults in this country are vaccinated. Shots for kids may be coming soon. Possibly a pill, so if you get sick, you don't get that sick. Do we capitalize on these added ingredients? Will that drive the next chapter of pandemic recovery? And if we don't get it right, will it drive chapter 7 and 11 bankruptcy cases that we will see all over this country? Few know the stakes better than economist and New York Times columnist Paul Krugman. Paul, good to have you. Good to be on. The analysis at the top, good enough? I think the one thing I would say is, you know, we talk about a slowdown. It's not actually the case that less stuff is getting through to people. Um, You look at consumption of consumer durables, sorry, economist jargon here, but, you know, stuff like refrigerators, uh, exercise machines, whatever, that's actually way up from before the pandemic. The problem is that people want to buy so much stuff that the supply chain can't handle it. So this is, a lot of this is because people were not able to do, still in many ways, are not able to do what they were doing before. And so they've turned to things to take the place. You can't go to the gym, so you buy some exercise equipment. You can't eat out, so you remodel your kitchen. And that has, is what's placed the strain on the system. It's not that we've fallen short of the deliveries we were achieving before. It's that people are trying to buy more stuff because they're still scared of the virus. And that is what's you know, straining the system to, to the brink. So how do you factor in the attrition, uh, what we've seen in people quitting their jobs and not wanting to return to the workforce? Um, yeah, why? That's, that's a different, I mean, it's all, it's all pandemic related. And, uh, but, you know, in a way, they, they, that's really hitting some of those very services that people weren't able to consume and now they're starting to go back to them, but the, the restaurants can't hire. And that, I think, is because people, you know, the pandemic led a lot of people to sort of look at what, look at their life. What am I doing with myself? Do I, I, I really hate my job. Do I really need to go back to it? You know, that's, that I think is the best way to think of it. Where does it go from here? Well, to some extent, um, if the vaccinations, you know, the Delta wave seems to be receding, if vaccinations uh, continue to expand, and people start to return to normal life, some of that pressure, people won't feel as, you know, people won't feel the need to buy things to replace the experiences they can no longer have. That will take some of the pressure off. Um, places which are really short of workers will raise wages. That's supply and demand. And they, they will eventually raise the wages enough to, so that people will come in. Um, we may end up with several million fewer people working than we had before because they've decided they actually don't need or want to do those jobs. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll come to live with it. But it's, you know, it's, this has been such a shock to everything, to the whole psychology of work, to the whole 
structure of things we buy that we're having a hard time adjusting to it. But it, it's it's not permanent. You know, in the, in the end, uh, we have a resilient economy. It's just you know just uh, a little overwhelmed at the moment. What does it mean for the Biden agenda? How important is this? Um, that's really hard to say. I mean, the, the, right now the Biden agenda uh, legislatively is is. Is, is not being held up by supply chain problems. It's being held up by, uh, you know, uh, a little fraction of his party. But the um, uh, a lot of it depends really on, on what happens in the, in the next uh, year or so. I mean, if if these things uh, are alleviated, then by this time next year, we could be looking at a really clear economic boom and people finally having, you know, Biden thought we'd have a summer of joy and that didn't happen, but maybe we'll be having a spring of joy next year and, and people will be feeling good. Um, that's what, really what, where, where we are. It's, it's all about whether, you know, this, this thing will get resolved, whether it will get resolved enough to bring Biden's popularity up to the point where Democrats can hold on in the midterms, God knows. What do you think happens if this demand creates a price spike and you start to get inflation? Uh, what would that do in the near term to his fate? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I've, my, my guess is that uh, it, it will hurt some, but it, I think mostly people, it's more a question of how people are feeling about life. And if life is starting to get some of its appeal back, uh, I mean, jobs, it, it's a good job market. Workers are quitting in, in part because they feel that it's safe to quit. And that's actually a good sign. Um, and we're not and anything like the kind of real, you know, livelihood-destroying inflation that we had in the 70s. And I don't think we're likely to get there. Um, there is a question about whether we, you know, we could talk about that. But the, the question is, is really whether this spooks the Federal Reserve, which raises interest rates too soon, or, you know, just in general, whether... Whether this, the kinks in our system managed to get worked out in time to help Biden politically. Well, you know, Moody's analytics reported Monday um, supply chain disruptions, quote, will get worse before they get better. Several analysts say uh, this will last until late 22 uh, or mid 23. You know, I, I have a I mean, by all means, let's let's take these things seriously and try to plan for it. But, you know, did, did any of these analysts see this coming? I think there's there a lot of there's a lot of tendency to extrapolate from where we are right now, and I just find it hard at a sort of abstract level to believe that a modern uh, economy with all the resources ours has and all of the uh, ingenuity that ours has is going to be unable to uh, to fix these what are fundamentally short term problems for that long. I mean, it, it, it's true. There's, there's a kind of a, you know, I think of, I keep looking at the supply chain stuff. I keep on thinking about the old children's song. There's a hole in the bucket. Mm-hmm. You can't fix this because you can't fix that because you can't fix that and so on down the line. And there is an aspect of that. But in the end, really, you know, a, a whole year of or more than a year of from here of not being able to get this stuff at least somewhat under control is hard to believe. Well, I'll tell you what, I think part of the confusion is going to be enlightening because Uh, The corporate sector hasn't had to think about how to please workers for a long time. And I'm hoping that this creates a leverage shift 
where these people have choice, these workers, uh, they have leverage, and they have to be addressed as people who matter as not something to mitigate and keep as a cost point as low as possible, uh, but to treat with the respect that many workers in this country uh, crave. All right, Paul, I got to jump, uh, but I'd love to have you out, uh, back, and I'd love to have you on on a regular basis. You're a man in high demand, uh, but the economy is going to be a big story uh, for the next you know, 12, 16 months. It would be great to have you. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right, take care and thank you. Now, those cargo ships that are stalled off the shore are all headed in the same direction. Segway. Why can't the Democrats? They face an existential threat from a party that has decided it's okay to lie and devastate a democracy in order to win. Do they get that? One of the top progressives on Capitol Hill is getting fed up too. What does he think about the blob that is threatening our economy? What does he think about the blob that is his party right now? Next. Supply chain crisis will get worse before it gets better because it's also global. And we're going to have to deal with inadequacies across the blob is not salt averse. We'll go across the ocean. And we are not helping ourselves with what's happening in Congress. Listen to this. We are relying on supply chains that were built generations ago. It's one of the reasons why this entire year we have been talking about and working on infrastructure and are eager to see Congress act to get this infrastructure deal through. So aspects of the bill would make a difference in terms of assisting the supply chain, which is an issue, if not dire, but of major significance to the midterm elections and to Biden's reelection. And yet the Democrats are still slow walking it. We've told you how transformative passing just a piece of the proposed bills could be to American life. And yet Democrats remain mired. Is it robust debate in the battle of ideas that Democrat voters want? Or is it something less than that? Yes, the main holdups, it's not about the party. It's not endemic. It's individual. Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, some people in the House. But even they aren't on the same page with each other. Nobody knows what's going on with cinema. So what does that mean for Democrats down the line? And are they getting anywhere? Top progressive Congressman Ro Khanna joins me now. It's good to have you. Good to be back on. Um, I want to talk about, you know, what you just heard from Paul, what it means. But just on the existential level, the idea that your opponents, right, in a binary system, it's half, are all in on saying, you guys cheated the last time. They are changing the laws in states to allow you to not cheat this time. And they are going to do everything they can to find out ways to change elections that they lose in the midterms. Do you believe that your party is aware of the threat and preparing for the same? Yes, we are. And that's why it's not just, Chris, about the January 6th commission. We not only have to hold Trump accountable and defeat Trump, we have to address the conditions 
that led to the rise of Trumpism, and that is the systematic deindustrialization in this country, that is the systematic disrespect of the working class, that is the lack of pride and hope that so many millions of Americans had. And that's what the president's agenda, the Build Back agenda, is all about. It's about restoring hope and dignity in this country so that Trump's xenophobia doesn't resonate, so we don't have the conditions that gave us Donald Trump. So where does it stand in this state of play? Is it checking all the boxes, but how much money for each? Or is it about making choices about which aspects programmatically you will fully fund? It's about making choices, and it's about following this president's lead. Every member of Congress, including me, the progressives, we've had our say. It's time that we unify behind this president. He has a compromise. Let's get behind it. Let's get it done. Uh, We need to deliver. And now is the time for us to do that. Is it all of the boxes checked and how much money for each? Or are you going to leave some programs out to fully fund others? i rather we do all of the president's vision, that we give people childcare so they can get back to work, that we make sure that every kid can have preschool, that we make sure our seniors can afford to go to a dentist or get eyeglasses. But if this president says, look, we have to have certain compromises, we have to be flexible, we have to realize that this will be a transformational agenda, let's get it done. One thing, Chris, I think we have to ask a very threshold question. Are we better off today than we were one year ago? Let's just remember one year ago where we were. We had no control over this pandemic. People couldn't go to football games. We had unemployment at 7%. Now we have 200 million Americans vaccinated. We have this pandemic under control. It's going to get better after Delta. We have unemployment at 5% and in the right direction. People are back at football games. It's not perfect. There have been mistakes, but we're a year into it, and this president has made life better. Do you have any better idea about what it takes to get uh, your two, um, you know, uh, difficult senators uh, to be less difficult? I think we just have to continue to say we're flexible, we're behind this president, and isolate them and say, why are you not for a compromise? Tell us what you want and what you're hearing from progressives, what you're hearing from friends. You still don't know what they want? Really? I, I don't know what Senator Cinema wants, and she says she only tells the White House that. I mean, she doesn't tell the Speaker. She doesn't Do they then she tell does. you? I mean, what is going on here, Ro? How, how can it be that you guys don't know what each other wants? The, the president knows, and that's why the president needs to make the deal, and we need to get behind him. I think if he gets Senator Manchin and others uh, on board, and then we isolate it to one senator, Senator Sinema, uh, I think we will get it done. And what we have to do is show flexibility and a trust in his judgment. He went across this country. He heard the pain of the working class. Uh, he has a vision to make life better. Uh, we need to deliver, and we'll be proud once we deliver these two bills. I'm confident we will. Speaking of confidence, uh, last question. Uh, Pelosi set the date to have that first vote. You and I discussed it a couple of different times. I didn't understand it. It didn't work out well. Now she's saying she wants it by the 31st. Again, why is she creating a deadline when you guys are not ready for one? Chris, because if you don't have a deadline in Washington, nothing happens. Now, we both know you don't always meet the deadline, but you have to have a deadline to have any possibility of getting something done. I am confident that we're going to get this done. Whether it happens exactly on this deadline or not, I don't know. But we will deliver this. And if there weren't for that deadline, we wouldn't have progress. Congressman Rokana, appreciate the straight talk. Good appreciate luck it. in doing the work of the people. Thank you. Great conversation with Krugman. I, you should have him on all the time. That guy's smart, huh? That guy he is he smart. really is. I need him. Lifts up my IQ. All right. Um, Captain Kirk.
He's done it. He went to space. 90 years old, oldest person to be in space. An iconic space voyager, TVs, movies, decades, right? Star Trek. The experience was something that even he had a hard time putting into words. He had some reaction, and I, I think it's probably the closest to what it would feel like for us to have this experience, even though he's a big star. Let's see it next. They used to say if a man could fly, he'd have wings. But he did fly. He discovered he had to. Risk. Risk is our business. That's what the starship is all about. That's why we're aboard her. Deep for more than half a century, William Shatner has been inextricably tied to space as the iconic captain of the Starship Enterprise on the most legendary sci-fi TV series of all time, Star Trek. Why am I laughing? Because he's funny. That's why. And it's his attitude towards life and making fun of himself and making fun of what stresses people out. He went into space and he had a ball at age 90. He got to finally make a real trek to the stars, or close enough, boldly going where no man or woman his age has gone before, the edge of space. This was a voyage to watch. A show in the sky over a West Texas desert, Shatner blasting off with three others on board, a new Shepard spacecraft developed by Blue Origin, a rocket company, of course, owned by billionaire Jeff Bezos, The same craft that took Bezos himself to space this summer. So they went 65 miles up at more than 2,000 miles an hour. Okay? And the most captivating show ended up being on the ground after. Why? Because of Shatner's completely authentic, human, just sense of being overwhelmed by what he just experienced. It's worth a watch. So moving to me. This experience is something unbelievable. You see, yeah, you know, uh, weightless, my stomach went up. This is so weird. But not as weird as the covering of blue. This is what I never expected. Oh, it's one thing to say, oh, the sky and the thing and the fragile thing. It's all true. But what isn't true? What, what is unknown until you do it is there's this pillow, there's this soft blue. Look at the beauty of that color. And it's so thin. And you're through it in an instant. It's what a. How, how, how thick is it? We know. Is it a mile? Two no, miles? I mean, it's, I mean, it depends on how you measure because it thins out, but maybe 50 miles. But you're going 2,000 miles an hour. So you're through 50 miles. Uh, whatever the mathematics fast. Was. Yeah. Really you know, fast. it's like a beat and a beat, and suddenly you're through the blue. And you're into black. What you have given me is the most profound experience I can imagine. Uh, I'm so filled with emotion about what just happened. I, I just, it's extraordinary. Extraordinary. I hope I never recover from this. I hope that I can. Uh, maintain what I feel now. I, I don't want to lose it. It's so... <laughs> it's 
so much larger than, than me and life. And it hasn't got anything to do with the little green planet, the blue orb, and the, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the enormity and the quickness and the suddenness of life and death of the, oh my God. It it's so beautiful. Beautiful, yes, beautiful in its way, but... No, I mean your words. Oh, my words. It's just amazing. I don't know, I can't even begin to express the vulnerability of everything. It's so small. This air, which is keeping us alive, is, is thinner than your skin. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a sliver. It's, it's immeasurably small when you think in terms of the, of the universe. And you shoot through, what you were saying about shooting through it so fast. So quickly, 50 miles and you're just in blackness. You're, and you're in death. Yeah. The moment This you, is life. This is life and that's that. And it's in, in an instant, you go, wow, that's death. That's what I saw. That's amazing. That's amazing. Wow. I am, I am overwhelmed. Right? I mean, it's just so real. Uh, and it's, it's just, you know, it's so interesting on so many levels, right? He's an actor, but he's not acting. Uh, this is completely authentic awe from somebody who spent so many years trying to make us believe that he understood what it was to be in space when he never had any idea, but he does now. So we're going to give him some time to process. And I have found that when somebody goes through something like this, that really was shaping, was a shaping experience for him. It'll be interesting to give him a moment and then talk to him about it, right? So tomorrow we have the captain. He's going to be live on the program. You know, now that he had a chance to process, what does it mean to him? What does he want it to mean to us? How did it change him? Because at 90 years old, with all the life he's had, all the experiences, all the fame, all the iterations of his existence, the chapters, why did this one mean so much to him? And what is the lesson in that for the rest of us? I can't wait to have the conversation. Hopefully you'll have it with me. Now, um, we'll bring him on tomorrow night, and it'll be fun. And I want to kind of tee us up for that. Let's bring in a real astronaut, former NASA astronaut, Massimino, one of mine, Italian, uh, about what does it mean to him to see how overwhelmed Shatner is and by what? Are those the things that a real astronaut still pays attention to? Next. Shatner set a new record as the oldest person to reach space at age 90. It was clear, though, the real moment for him was back on Earth when he got to process it and express it. He's deeply, deeply moved in a very human and authentic way. Let's get some perspective. What did that reaction mean to somebody who's like a real astronaut? NASA astronaut Mike Massimino. It's good to see you, brother. Uh, Chris, great seeing you. Thanks for having me on. So what is that like for you to listen to a Shatner? Is it like you know, being a pro guy, listening to somebody who's it's their first time or, you know, what do you get from it? I, I thought it was magical, Chris. It was my favorite moment from the day as well as hearing his his expression of what he saw, what he felt. I felt very similar. I think most astronauts do. As professional astronauts, though, you know, we're there to do a job and repair things and fix stuff and explore and so on. 
but we also get that emotional part of it, the experience of being there. I, I kept mine in check, I think, my emotions. And even when I got on the ground and it hit me, Chris, when I got back to crew quarters, after we got medically checked out, had a, sh a short press conference and I got back to my room in crew quarters, I was thinking about this today. I got back to that room. It was the same room that I had left that morning, two weeks earlier that I left for left the planet and everything looked the same, but I had changed so much. And I thought about the beauty I had seen during my mission and I broke down and started crying. All that emotion just was built up inside of me for two weeks and it just let itself out. And I had a long, good cry, got myself together, put on my jeans and my crew members, my crewmates for, for lunch. That's the way it went for me. But that emotion of seeing our planet, it's a, it's a paradise. I thought I was looking into heaven he also mentioned the blackness that you see there. You know, you have a, a blue sky, the, but the stars are always out. We just can't see them because the atmosphere is in the way. You get above that, you see the stars in the black sky, you see the sun in the black sky, <laughs> and you look out there and you realize that there's no other option for us. We've checked out the we've checked out the neighborhood. You have darkness uh, in one direction, and in the other direction, you see our beautiful planet with the thin atmosphere, and you realize we we have to make this planet work. It's beautiful and it's also very fragile. And I thought he expressed it very well. Um, are you okay with people going on these space flights? Yeah, I, I, I think it's great. Because yeah, some I, people, I, I, you know, in your field are like, uh, leave it to the pros. Uh, this is like, you know, tourism. What do you think? I think that anyone who can go and get that perspective is worthwhile. I think it makes the world a better place. I think we also have different perspectives and different ways of, of expressing what, what we've seen. He went up there, uh, William Shatner went up there as a, as a professional actor, a person who can express his feelings as a 90-year-old person that's lived on our planet for a long time and had a chance to view our planet from space and what, it, what it's like up there, even just for a few minutes, and he can come back and explain it to us and get us excited and, and make a difference in our lives by hearing what he saw. And I look forward to what he's gonna tell you tomorrow night too. Yeah. So I think that that makes our world a better place. And so it doesn't just have to be professional astronauts. And I think the great thing about the technology we have now and the automation that makes the training time smaller so you don't need to train for years like I did to get an experience in space is wonderful and hopefully the reusability will help bring the cost down so more and more people can can experience this well Mike uh, shoot me a message about what you want to want me to ask from your perspective you uh, of Captain Kirk tomorrow night and look uh. Thank you for your service to the country, and it is an added source of pride, you know, one Italian-American to another. Uh, you, you make Love us it. proud. Be well, Thanks, and buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Great seeing you again. Thanks. Always, always. Big news on the January 6th front. The House Select Committee investigating the Capitol attack just subpoenaed a central figure in Trump's coup attempt, someone who may have been trying to help him overturn the election. The panel spoke for hours today to another Trump DOJ official, this one who didn't cave to pressure put on him by Trump. Where does it all lead? Next. All right, this is Justin. Steve Bannon's attorney has issued a new response to the January 6th committee. Uh, in a written letter, he states that President Trump's former chief strategist will not be testifying, will not be providing documents unless the executive privilege or until the executive privilege claim of Trump is dealt with. The letter claims, quote, that is an issue between the committee and President Trump's counsel and Mr. Bannon is not required to respond at this time. Now, I would argue to you that this is not 
legally sufficient, that he does have to respond because there is no executive privilege. This comes with a fresh subpoena issued for Justice Department official Jeffrey Clark. He's accused of helping Trump push the big lie within the agency ahead of the insurrection. Let's discuss this with someone who actually knows the answers. Norm Eisen, it's good to have you again. Chris, great to be back with you. Am I wrong? I don't. Do you get to say, hey, listen, until you figure out this issue, we're not going to comply. You don't have the right to withhold your um, response to a legal subpoena because you think there's an existing legal issue. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Of course, Mr. Bannon doesn't get to make up the law as he goes along. This is a legally binding subpoena. He needs to prevent, pr- uh, show up, provide the documents, provide his testimony. And Chris, if you look closely at that letter, it says over and over again, because the president is exercising executive privilege. Well, guess what, Chris? Donald Trump isn't the president anymore. He doesn't get to decide because he sends a letter. We know the Biden administration has been waiving executive privilege, letting witnesses testify, ordering documents to produce. Bannon doesn't get to invent his own law. Now, Jeffrey Clark is the most interesting uh, character in all of this to me, the DOJ official who helped assert lies about election fraud uh, and really tried to architect a way around uh, legitimizing the election. How significant to you and what do you expect of his response? Uh, Clark is a very significant figure. He was the most senior person inside the Trump Justice Department who was pushing for Trump's coup under cover of law. Uh, making outlandish statements. He, he circulated a letter. Chris, thank goodness that his superiors, Mr. Donahue uh, and Mr. Rosen, uh, did not go for it. They rejected it out of hand with the, the absurd notions that there was improprieties in Georgia and that the Georgia legislature should come in and overturn a lawful election. Uh, Clark is a key figure and uh, he also needs to answer that subpoena. Um, you s- believe that the meeting with the acting AG under Trump, Jeffrey Rosen, you believe that what came out of it is a sign that the committee is winning. Why? Um, Chris, there's been a lot of focus on the coming contempt likely criminal contempt against those who aren't cooperating. But there's much more cooperation that's happening. You have uh, uh, Mr. Donahue and Mr. Rosen, Mr. Clark's bosses, who've gone in to testify, first to the Senate, then to the House committee. You have the White House authorizing the disclosure uh, of executive privilege documents. You have others cooperating, still confidential, providing information. That information is pouring in, and unlike the contempt litigation, Chris, if it comes here, it's up to Donald Trump to go to court and shut it off. So the burden's on the other foot, and guess what? That information is going to go, when the committee writes its report, maybe sooner, right into the hands of federal and state prosecutors, including the Fulton County DA, Fannie Willis, already reports she's cooperating with the committee investigating Trump 
for solicitation of election fraud in Georgia. A little bit of color. Um, do you believe that the four lawyers that are reported to have turned down Trump did it because he doesn't pay? Or is that a reflection of that people don't want to get involved with this kind of soup? Well, it's the worst of all possible worlds representing Trump, Chris. You don't get paid. Your reputation gets dragged through the mud. You yourself might get enmeshed in his uh, 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 potential liability, civil or criminal. That's what's happened to Mr. Clark. Now, I was one of uh, a group of ethics experts who filed a bar complaint against Clark uh, here in D.C. where he's licensed. It is a mess for your career, your wallet, and your reputation if you represent the guy. No go. Hmm. Norm Eisen, you're always full go. It's good to have you. Thank you again. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thank you. Let's take a break and let's come back and get after it with the handoff. Now to a galaxy far, far away, the mind of Don Lemon. Don (laughs) Lemon tonight. (laughs) That's the Twilight Zone. It was nice to see somebody be completely authentic and human. Yeah. Uh, in a in a public setting like the way Shatner was. I'm glad it meant so much to him, especially at that stage. And I think about it, I mean, for those of us who grew up, even, you know, if it was on um, in reruns watching um, Star Trek, I mean, it was, a, it was a real, real treat for I would love to see Lieutenant Ahura and Sulu and Dr. Spock and all those guys. That would have been great. You know, some of them are not with us anymore, but it was great and completely authentic and he's, you know, he was so grateful to Jeff Bezos for giving him the opportunity. He goes, I don't really know what to say. And to see someone like, uh, you know, William Shatner, a very seasoned actor, uh, very se- a pro when it comes to public speaking, just, he was just like, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what to say. It was great, don't you think? Yeah, I just, I thought that it was uh, so real. You know, what I liked about it actually had wait, nothing wait, to do with I the I wish fact he had said, Shatner. though, when it was going up, I wish I'd have heard him say, warp speed ahead. He was doing 2,000 miles an hour. Um, I think that for me, it was that that's the closest reaction I've ever seen to what I think it would be like for the rest of us. You know what I mean? Like when these astronauts and stuff and these big shots go up there, it's like, you know, that's not what it would be like for me or for you. But Shatner, it's like I could see myself feeling the way he did. Did you play Star Trek when you were a kid? Did you have the, I had the thing. You didn't? No, no interest. I, oh, you didn't. You didn't like but it. But I know it's Mr. Spock, not Dr. Spock. Well, doc, what did I say? No, oh, I, I thought it was Dr. Spock. Yeah, you were um, right. Okay, whatever. Why do you always talk? Facts matter. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> facts do matter. Did you like? Now, here's where everyone's going to get mad at me. So I watched Star Trek. I love Lost in Space, and that was my number one. Star Trek number two. Not a fan of Star Wars. I never got into it. Mm. Interesting. I like Star Wars. My kids hate it. Yeah. I like all of those kind of War of the Worlds. I didn't like that movie. But War, War of the Worlds type series, The Hobbit, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, Star Wars, all that stuff. I'm into it. Not my thing. Not so much. I'd rather watch You're more of a Squid Game guy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'd rather watch an old movie on TCM. I'm just an old man. You know, all about Eve. It was pretty Citizen big, though. Kane. But I, I'll tell you what. I had, um, I really believe. Twilight Zone. All right, I got it. I really believe that this supply chain, I know it's not sexy, and I know it's confusing. No, but it's important. But I'm telling you, come the holidays, have you tried to buy any gifts yet? Uh, Yeah, that's not a problem for me. Okay, look, I think, here's the thing that I think about that. 
it's a, it's a problem. It is. It's, uh, it's awful, but maybe in some way this will teach us what's important about Christmas. And oh, it's not I would necessarily love that. Gifts. I don't like Christmas. I'm on record as saying wow. I'm not a Scrooge. I'm very generous um, to a fault, but Hang on. it's all Hang about on. the gifts. Mrs. These glommy little kids. Do you know how many packages I found when we moved that were never opened? Yeah. Unwrapped, yeah. but unopened gifts from Christmas. Yes. Well, okay. Mrs. Matilda <clears throat> Cuomo, he did not mean he didn't like Christmas. He's just saying that. I don't like it. It's all don't about the gifting. That. Your mom we is watching. We don't know the reason for the season. Okay, I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not a big presents person, so it, that doesn't bother me. But here's what I have to say about that. And I like to, usually you are a glass half full person, so I'm going to help you be a glass half full person. So um, I talked to Kai Rizdahl last night, who explained to me about the supply chain. Yes, mm-hmm. it is terrible. People want to get their things. But it's also an indicator that the economy is doing well. People want to buy things and that it's backed up. So let's look at the part that, hey, the economy's great. People can buy things again. They're out and about. They want to buy gas. It's, you know, okay, fine. I know. I think that's a little spin. Well, it is, a, it is spin. I'm just trying to make people feel good. Look, if you can't get, I under, trust me, I understand all of it. But I'm saying sometimes you have to look at the bright side because it's getting better. People are out there traveling. Gas prices are going up. You can't get the gas because there's so much demand. I understand it, but that's not a... Look, let's just say there was a people who was overflowing with gas and nobody was going anywhere and you couldn't travel and you couldn't afford that. Okay, fine. But it's actually the exact opposite. The demand is so high for people who are wanting to do good things and buy and be part of the economy that, that we can barely keep up. Let's just, you know, keep, get the right attitude about it. Your things will come. Things will come, right? Gifts will come. Furniture will come. Toys will come eventually. But that person who you sit across the dinner table from may not be there always, right? You haven't been able to see them for the past two years. How about you think about that and get into that instead of thinking about what you don't have? I will. And we have very big. This is a big, yeah. uh, this is a big Thanksgiving, 20-year yeah. wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sorry, Christina. Did you get the invite? I get no. I don't need that's an right. invite. I don't, that's right. I do. That's not right. You did. That's right. You did. And it has nothing to do with the supply chain. I gotta run. Thank you very <laughs> I much. I love you. Beam me up, Scotty. I'll see you later. <laughs> Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.